You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here, to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who've pedaled to places all over. Each week, we'll get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Well, on the show today, meet Allie Johnson. Allie is the executive director at a nonprofit organization called Bikepacking Roots. Their website is bikepackingroots.org. And this organization is amazing. They provide really cool bikepacking routes for people who are interested. They advocate for all of us to secure more public land so that we can bikepack. And they also just provide different events and resources for bikepacking in general. You need to make sure that you check out bikepackingroots.org. And it is free to become a member. And they're looking for more and more members so that they can show the world that people want to bikepack. So here's Allie. All right, I would like to welcome Allie Johnson to the show. Hey, Allie. Hey, hey. So listeners, if you have not been to this website yet, you have to go. And especially after you listen to this podcast, you'll want to go. But Allie Johnson is the executive director at Bikepacking Roots. Yes, I am. How are and you? That's bikepacking Roots, like tree roots, R-O-O-T-S, not R-O-U-T-E-S. Okay, Bikepacking yeah. Roots. And... Give us the scoop on what exactly this organization is all about. Yeah, so Bikepacking Roots exists to support the sport of bikepacking and the bikepacking community and to harness the collective energy of bikepackers to support the landscapes we ride through. Um, So both things that help riders like information and routes and events, but then also Um, advocating on their behalf to Congress, to local land managers saying, hey, bikepackers really want more protections for public lands in these ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and just really trying to build the user group identity of bikepackers as a group that cares about stewardship, is invested in, and is are good protectors of the land. Yeah, yeah. And anytime I'm out bikepacking, it's definitely obvious that People who also bikepack are very like-minded in let's keep the environment the same way it was before we got there, you know, all of that good stuff. So it's nice that, you know, we have an entity like Bikepacking Roots who's kind of supporting that. Yeah. Thank you. And are you a nonprofit? Yeah. So we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, A little back, we're entirely member supported with a few amazing business partners on board. Yeah. Okay. And tell us like the the history, like how, you know, was somebody back in the day saying, I love bikepacking, we need more support, let's start an organization, or how did it start? Great question. Um, So we were founded back in 2017 by professional bikepack racers or bikepackers, Kurt Refsnyder and Kate Boyle, Hmm. who are actually still on staff as our road director and our education director. They're amazing. Um, But they were racing out in Oregon and there had been this huge explosion of bikepacking races. All these people were coming to races. They were so excited. Um, And such an emphasis in racing, sometimes on going fast, that sometimes the stewardship piece 
got left behind. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were at a race where some people were having some really bad behavior, both towards the land and towards like the local communities that, that they were riding through. Um, Like there's a story about somebody literally pooping in a landowner's barn, you know, during a storm and like, well, well, people are racing, just kind of forgetting that they are they are guests in landscapes, mm-hmm. and they were really concerned about. It. And they said, "I don't think that's how everyone wants to behave. Like, I don't think that's how we want to be seen. Um, I think that we can harness this this ethos that you felt out there, and that I'm sure all of us have felt out there that like people really actually do care about places and want to connect with places more deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they founded the organization." to to harness that ethos and to promote that ethos and to make sure that we're we're being good stewards. I love yeah, it. And since then we've just we've grown steadily every year. Yeah. And so. tell us, you know, exactly what you do as executive director. Like what what is your role all about? Oh, so many hats. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I often just harnessing the beautiful work um, that all our different folks are doing. So, for instance, I said, you know, Kurt is working as our routes director. Mm-hmm. So putting together all of that information about routes, making sure that those are really well stewarded routes, because there's, that's one thing that we've also found as a problem in the bikepacking community is it's so easy to publish a route on all these various platforms without actually having ground truth that actually having been out there and been like, yes, oh. are we allowed to be on this land? Is there water there? Is this road actually passable? Oh, yeah. um, and so one thing we do is we put together really high quality routes and we make sure that there's information available about those routes, everything that people would need to ride confidently. Um, so that's one piece is supporting that route development. Um, another piece is supporting our education and events director, Kate, in um, putting on some events and then also just collecting and aggregating other events people can attend in our community events calendar, publishing educational materials Mm. around how people can be good stewards and just have more fun bikepacking and bikepack successfully um, because we really want to broaden the bikepacking tent and make sure that anyone who is interested in getting into bikepacking can. Yeah. Um, And then last but not least, an advocacy piece. Um, So part of our work is also reaching out again to land managers, to Congress and saying, hey, we'd really like to advocate for this bill or this protection. So Mm -hmm. definitely doing some of that on behalf of the organization as well. Yes, you definitely have multiple hats. <laughs> right. All that. Yes. Being, an, being an executive director is like being a Swiss Army knife. Right. Yeah. And on a side note, I've been following Kate Boyle for a long time on Instagram. And like her story is amazing. So besides the fact Truly. that she, you know, helped found this organization, she has such a great backstory mm-hmm. and how she has, you know, come to be the amazing athlete she is today. Yeah, and just uh, yeah, an inspiring person to to know even through Instagram, like right, a delight. Yeah, yeah. I would love to meet her Both in real life. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll cross paths at some point. And, and Kurt as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you you talked a little bit about accessing public lands, and that you know brings up. I follow a famous YouTuber, Ryan Dozer, oh, and yeah. he <laughs> does all kinds of fun bike packing. Um, and there was a route that he was doing, I think it was in a d- another country, where he would go down this road and then it would just, there would be a gate that would say private use only. And he was talking to the camera saying, wow, you know, why is this route developed yet you can't use it? And so 
that mm-hmm. made me think about what you said earlier in that, you know, you guys develop routes, but you also make sure that they are accessible. So do you want to speak a little bit more about accessing public lands for bikepacking? Yeah, because it's, oh, it's so important. Public lands are bikepacker habitat, prime bikepacker habitat, um, but they come in different flavors and they they all need our protection. Um, so I guess I would I would start by saying, yeah, they come in different flavors, some of which we can access, some mm-hmm. of which we can't, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll talk through the differences. But bikepacking roots' is, position generally is that like all public lands are good public lands and we want more public lands, even if we can't go on them, mm. because having land set aside that's not being developed really helps combat some of the worst impacts of climate change, right? And like climate change is one of the biggest threats to humanity, Mm -hmm. but especially to bikepackers because when we're seeing increasing forest fires and increasing temperatures and decreasing water tables, we can't go out bikepacking if if there's not, you know, if the air is choked with smoke and there's no water anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really excited about all public lands, even though sometimes that means like maybe actually bikepackers won't be able to access them. Um, so there are kind of a couple different designations that it's really important to be aware of. And that's why it is so important to know and respect the restrictions where you plan to ride. Mm-hmm. Um, because also some of those designations are changing. There may be increasing opportunities to allow bikepackers in those lands, but we're only going to be allowed if we're seen as people who respect the rules of the road and respect the expectations. And so that's why it's so, we're so obsessed with, yeah, treading appropriately. Right. Um, So for our purposes, public lands come in, I I don't know, four more, but an infinite number of flavors, but four big ones. Um, So the first and maybe our favorite is Bureau of Land Management lands, simply because those are very accessible to bikepackers. Land managers usually have a lot of authority for what's allowed. And more often than not, they will allow bikepackers on those lands. and those include a lot of the lands that you hear about in these new national monument designations, right? Like Fort Hay or Camp Hale was designated last year. And like, we're going to see a couple of new national monument designations in the coming year, like Ave Hiwa Ame, National Monument in Nevada. Um, so for example, national monuments like that, that are the administration is able to designate or Congress is able to designate, which means putting more public lands under protection since mm-hmm. in this day and age, it can be really hard to get say new national parks. Right. So we love BLM land um, for that reason. And then we've got fish and wildlife refuges. That's another big one. And that just varies widely based on the park. So you just need to contact your local land manager and find out. Usually bikes are allowed on roads, but not on um, trails, but it varies. Mm-hmm. And the same with national parks. Um, those have recently in the past five years been opened up to bike travel, but it totally varies based on the park superintendent. So you have to know your local park mm-hmm. um, and what, what's going to be allowed and what's not and contact those land managers. And then last but not least, wilderness and wilderness study areas where generally mechanized travel is not allowed and bikes are mechanical. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though they're not motorized, bikes are generally not allowed in wilderness areas to the extent that, you know, maybe people have heard stories about like when people do the Arizona trail, um, the racers actually have to disassemble their bikes and put them on their backs to hike down through the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back out because like you can't even have an assembled mechanical device that could be ridden. No way. Right? Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so, so interesting. <laughs> but that's how we keep it legal. And I love that people do that. And it just makes them that much cooler and more badass. Yeah, like, that they make you know, the effort to do right? the right thing. <laughs> Little tiny Kate is like, you know, out there with her biking pieces <laughs> on her back, but, you know, hiking down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. It's bananas. Wow. Um, yeah. I had enough trouble uh, hiking the Grand Canyon without anything, you know, heavy on my back. So I can't imagine with a bicycle. Me either. Yeah. And I actually, an aside about public lands, because I think one of the biggest questions I get from people about bike pickers is they're like, why are all your routes in the West? Why, why is that? Do you not like the Midwest and the East? Mm-hmm. What is that? Is it, you know, is it some sort of snobbery? And I want to be like, no, 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 no. It's not that at all. It's that there's more public lands in the West oh, because okay. it was settled later. Uh-huh. So much more of the West is Bureau of Land Management man- lands. And what that just means is it's so much easier and more possible to bike pack on those lands because you can camp on those lands and travel freely on those lands. Um, and so that's, I think, a, a challenge to, you know, open up more bike packing in the Midwest and the East is, is just that there is less public land. And that mm-hmm. means you have to navigate on roadways and then find pockets where you might be able to camp within those private lands. Um, so people often ask that, like, why the bias towards the West? Yeah. Um, and it's it's actually just an artifact of, an unfortunate artifact of history that we have more public lands in the West than in the East. Interesting. And now that you say that, that makes total sense. Yeah. Huh. So uh, no, we would love more, more bikepacking in the Midwest and the East. Yeah. And that's actually things we are actively working on. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. And as someone who lives in the Midwest, I would love to see more bikepacking routes. But um, I do have a question about, you know, the whole public land use. Yeah. Um, so I think it was, let's just say two or three years ago, I was on a group and we bikepacked through the San Juan Mountains. And there were in times... In southwestern Colorado? Yes. Yep. Okay. Love them. And we used a actual uh, entity, the San Juan Huts. Um, it's a hut-to-hut system. And so they did all the homework and provided mm-hmm. us with the maps and the routes. And there were literally times when our directions would say, you know, when you see the big tree, turn right, and then there'll be two fences. Make sure you open the fence and relock the fence and go through the cow pasture and say hi to the horses. And so it's very specific. And we were going through private land that they had gotten permission for us to go through. So, you know, of course, we had to respect, you know, make sure the gate shut. We don't let the cows out, those sorts of things. (laughs) But if you don't have, you know, the maps ahead of time, is there do you just kind of google whatever state you're in and find out an organization <laughs> that you can contact or like what are you guys the resource great question we actually do provide a resource to help folks oh good um it comes down to a lot of pouring over maps yeah um which is what they, they were doing for you um but we actually have an interactive map feature on our website oh. um, if you go there and you click on ride there's an interactive map where you can turn on and off the layers um, and you can turn on a public lands layer that let tells you what type of land ownership it is. Yeah. Um, so you can at least have an idea generally like, oh, hey, this is going to be all public. I don't need to worry at all. Um, or like, oh, this is kind of a checkerboard. I'm going to need to move my route in this way. Mm-hmm. Or occasionally I'm going to need to get even more specific. I mean, it can. We definitely have some routes where we've gotten permission from private landowners, just like the San Juan Huts. Mm-hmm. Um 
and it, it can be really complicated if you do want to pri- cross private land of you know go looking up who actually owns that parcel right but generally if you can just get a general idea of like this is where i could go you can just avoid those private lands unless it's you know critical yeah unless you're highly motivated to go in a very specific place. Right. So I already can say that that's a great resource to go to your website to find all of that because somebody else, you know, whether it's you guys or, you know, the the different states provided that information, that is a great resource. Oh, my gosh. And that's that's actually just the tip of the iceberg for our interactive routes map. Um, It covers the whole United States and it uses a ton of federal data. It's like there's land ownership. But there's also there's my favorite map layer is one where you can turn on um, the indigenous territory, like what tribes have historically oh, lived in that yeah. area. So you can like be aware of whose land you're on. Mm. Um, but there's also wildfire data where you can pull up like what fires are active or historic in that area and mm. where you think the snow might or the smoke might be. Oh, wow. There is precipitation and snowpack data where you can see how much water there has been compared to historical years. So you can know like do I need to be more aware of whether or not there's water mm. or is this going to be stupid muddy and my tires are going to be coated in peanut butter and I'm not going to be able to ride at all. So that is absolutely one of my favorite tools we have. Oh, I love it. Well, uh, I'm going to skip ahead to that question because it's a good segue. <laughs> so we're, yeah. we're basically talking about your website, which is bikepackingroots.org. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just talked about the whole map features, which is amazing, but it's, I know it's a one-stop shop for all kinds of things that have to do with bikepacking. So do you want to get into a little bit more of what you offer on that website? Uh, yeah. So so a big part of it is the routes um, and those those maps to kind of visualize the routes with current conditions. Um, and that includes both bikepacking routes Roots' routes. Um, and then also we are going to be hosting more and more community routes and linking to other community routes mm. that we really highly recommend. Another piece that I'm really excited about is our community event calendar where people can find bikepacking events. And we are emphasizing non-competitive events um, just because or events that have a strong non-competitive option Mm -hmm. um, just because we really want to be accessible. Not that races aren't amazing and awesome. They are. um, But we a a place to kind of find, especially if you're just trying to dip your toe into it, Mm -hmm. um, events either hosted by us or by other people, by Bikepacking Roots Ambassadors. And then a whole wealth of resources about just how to be a good steward of public lands mm-hmm. um, and how how bikepackers can interact more effectively in the places they travel and be forces for good. And then we're also working on a library of resources on just bikepacking tips and tricks and getting started um, as because there's such a wealth of information about there about how to bikepack. But yes, we we want more people to go bikepacking and to make bikepacking accessible, Mm -hmm. as accessible to possible, as many people as possible. Excellent. So bikepackingroots.org. And you're right, because, you know, like when I go bikepacking, it's usually just whoever I'm with that I see, you know. So if there's like Mm -hmm. five of us that go on a couple day adventure, you know, we may go a couple of days without seeing another person. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the point is to be out there in nature and all of that good stuff. But if we're the only ones that do it, then, you know, you won't get the popularity and get the resources and have all of that. Absolutely. Because, you know, it's more fun to go with other people. But if, yeah. if the people you know don't want to, because it is, you know, a kind of crazy hair brain sport, right. um, it can be hard to find those folks to feel safe to go out there. And so, I think helping that's people connect. Sorry. Yeah, definitely helping people connect. And um, 
you know, we're talking about the phrase bikepacking, and I've had plenty of people on this podcast to talk about bikepacking and bike touring, but do mm-hmm. you want to maybe give us your definition of what bikepacking actually is? Yes, question mark, <laughs> just because it's such a contested space. Yes, like, I yes. don't want to wade into that fray because I, I would really advocate, bikepacking roots would advocate for a really inclusive definition of mm-hmm. bikepacking that it is bikepacking if it is overnight travel on a bike, mostly off of paved roads. Um, but I think people can be sticklers for like, it has to be, you know, more than 60% dirt. It has to be, oh, um, you know, right. And I'm like, no, 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 no. If you are, if you are on your bike, you are doing it right. Like all by, and, and being respectful of the places you go, all bike travel is good bike travel. Mm-hmm. So we recognize that like, that looks really different for different people. That could look like, you know, a sub 24 hour overnighter where you're just leave after work and you pedal for 10 miles and you camp and you come on back. Um, or that could look like an epic multi-month adventure like Doozer style. Mm-hmm. But we really don't want to discriminate between the two. We want to emphasize that, like, that's great. If what you need to be successful is, you know, to trout, to ride to a Airbnb and stay there, that, that's great. If you, you know, want to meet a sag wagon with your stuff, that's okay too. Whatever gets people on their bikes we think is really, really positive. Well yeah. said. Very well said. And I, um, you know, I am uh, lucky in the sense that I have multiple types of bikes and I can confidently say I've bike packed on a mountain bike, I've bike packed on a fat bike, and I've bike packed on my adventure bike. And yes. all of the experiences were different, but it was all, you know, like I'll use your word, it was all epic. Like you're out there doing it. Yeah. And I love on any bike. That's the other thing is I think as the sport gets built up, you know, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff out there <laughs> and it can feel like I need the coolest, newest stuff. And like, you can run with your brung, like any bike can go bike packing mm-hmm. If it is a functional bike, um, you can, you can make it work with anything, you know, you can volley strap a, a stuff sack to your handlebar and yeah. put things in a backpack. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't require the newest, the latest, a particular look or aesthetic to count as bike packing. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, you uh, made reference to events on your website, mm-hmm. and you I think that you were saying when they're community events mm-hmm. that maybe other people can reach out to you and say, hey, I want to promote my event. They absolutely can. Any epic events that you saw on there that maybe you want to tell the listeners about? Ooh, well, if I were going to go out and ride some things, two things that jumped out at me in just the coming months um, yeah. put on by Bikepacking Roots Ambassadors. So Sarah Swallow is putting on a, a series of adventure rides called the Sky Island Adventure Rides in January and February mm-hmm. down around Patagonia, Arizona. So those are going to be super cool. Highly recommend checking those out, mm-hmm. the Sky Island Adventure Rides. Um, and then Bikepacking Roots Ambassador John Shillingsworth is putting is doing a Queen's Ransom bikepacking event also in Arizona in March, because these are winter events. So right. Arizona is the prime place to do it. Right. <laughs> You're not going to get a lot of a lot of riding further north. That's why we're disproportionately representing Arizona. But he is doing an event um, in March that should be super cool called the Queen's Ransom on a route that he put together. So both of those, I imagine, will be amazing events. 
yeah, and then there's a ton of other events also up on there um, in Texas, in New Mexico, still emphasizing the warm places because those are the months that right. are coming up. Right. Um, but as things warm up into summer, you'll see more and more events spread throughout the United States. And are these events uh, varying as far as whether they cost money or they're just a get out and try it or a long, you know, many days event or one day event? Are they all different? They are all different. Nice. The one thing they have in common is um, that they are all like non-competitive, that everyone yeah. is welcome okay. um, and you can ride at any speed and you don't feel like you have to ride at a particular speed. Um, they vary from overnights to like things that will take people probably five days to complete. Mm -hmm. um, the one is like a 630 mile ride across Arizona again, <laughs> like, you oh, know, wow. maybe a little bit longer. There's some grand departs. So things that are bikepacking races, but lots of people departing at the same time mm -hmm. um, and lots of people who are going to be doing it at touring pace. Um, yeah. And so and cost wise, most of them are actually cost free. They oh, will, wow. Occasionally they have a suggested donation to support a cool cause, like some of them support veterans bikepacking or um, land protections in the area. And some of them, there's a small fee if you want to be on track leaders, if you want to have your dot watched by other people. Oh, yeah. Uh, but by and large, they're free. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah. Which, you know, when I think of bikepacking in general, um, I know you mentioned it earlier, and I've interviewed a couple people that do bikepack racing, mm -hmm. where it's, you know, an epic 200 miles. I, you know, I slept 45 minutes the whole time, like those sorts of like crazy events. But most of the time when I think of bikepacking, I think of it as at your own pace, you know, enjoying, you know, the noise you're going to hear is more like birds and the sound of your wheels kind of deal. Yes, absolutely. But this, yeah, we really want to encourage people to just do it at the pace that, that speaks to them, that excites yeah. them. If they want to challenge themselves, that's great. And if whatever that looks like, though, that can be at so many different speeds. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you go to bikepackingroots.org, there are mm -hmm. tons and tons of resources um, that you can probably use without being a member, but you are a membership-based organization. That's how you keep alive. So do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, I do. I actually really, yes, please be a member because it's actually free. Like, all we mean by being a member is signing up, joining our our mailing list so that as we're we can both communicate with you and share with you the cool things that are happening mm. um as new routes come online and as new events come online um and then also we can when we're communicating with land managers you know we are saying hey we represent 10,000 bike packers yeah. right so we you are adding your name to your roles and saying like yes our roles and saying yes bike packing roots you can speak for me and say that this is something that bike packers want um so becoming a member is absolutely free <laughs> and super important um to to our success um and then twice a year we do ask if people want to become sustaining members and help support our work with a donation but it is so emphasis on accessibility about you know um, what what feels good to give and what is available there. But there's no, we don't have any content that isn't available for free. <laughs> wow. Okay. So everyone has, to, if you've ever bikepacked ever, you need to at least sign up to become a member of Bikepacking Roots so that you can be represented by this organization. This is so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's so cool. Well, any shout outs that you want to give before we wrap up? Oh, 
so many. I think a couple people who are some people who are really on my mind lately, though, to shout out are just all the people who did become new and sustaining members um, in our end of year 2022 drive. Thank you so much. And then I want to shout out our Pony Express route creator, Jan Bennett. Mm. They have just finalized and put together this amazing labor of love of a bikepacking route that um, traces the Pony Express route wow. from Nebraska to Sacramento, California. It's incredible. It's rugged. It's historical. It's it's so fascinating. Um, so that has just been such a labor of love for Jan. And so they're on my mind and their route is on my mind as it's coming out shortly. So I want to shout out Jan. Yeah. And um, what's that route called again? Pony Express? It's called the Pony Express bikepacking route. Oh, I love it. Okay. We got to look forward yeah. to that. And thanks, Jan. Totally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's who I'd want to shout out right now, but oh my gosh, there's so many amazing people. Our community just runs mm-hmm. on cool, amazing, dedicated, committed people, all of whom I appreciate. So Wow. And yeah. we will count you as one of them, Allie. Like it's Thank it's you. awesome the work that you do as executive director and bikepacking roots is just a fabulous nonprofit to be part of. Thank you so much. Yeah. And for, for helping us spread the word about the organization. I hope yeah, some of your listeners do join us because we'd love to have you and get out there on the road riding with you at some point. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Allie, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, listeners, that's it for this week. Email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting. Support my podcast at patreon.com slash morphology and visit both my Facebook and Instagram pages for daily entertainment. I have more great episodes in the pipeline, so I hope you continue to be a Morphology Podcast listener. <laughs> <laughs>